just felt there was something missing. Um, I knew there was something missing. I mean, it's, it's tough. You, you sit out to the audience and they say, you know, you should join a small group. It's a good thing. It, it is a good thing. So we started out um, volunteering in the coffee bar. And so that's how we ended up in a small group. The lady that was training us was asking, you know, where we were from. And when she found out we were, where we lived, she said, I got the perfect couple close to you guys that lead a small group and you got to get in contact with them. So that's where it all began. I just, I had lots to do, and I didn't have time for touchy-feely um, group sessions where everybody is all huggy, touchy-feely, and so that's not my personality anyway. I like to be in the background. Um, I don't like to be in the forefront of things. Uh, I just don't have the time. I've got other things going on on this day. I, I, I can't afford this. Just being new on a college campus, I, it was, it's hard to find friends. It's hard to find uh, places where you can be vulnerable and uh, open yourself up to them and them accept you the way you are. Being thrown in that situation, you have to, you have to grow um, and you have to sometimes come out of your comfort zone to do what you're being led to do. Um, it seems like God doesn't put you in a place where you're always comfortable, it's usually the opposite. Once you're in a group, you realize all these different people have different ideas about the same thing that you just read. So as you're studying the Lord's Word, then it really comes to life when you're in a small group. Together, We've done sporting events, we've done serving meals for people, we've done renovations for people. Two of the members in our small group family, um, their children are actually, they've gotten married and, and now we share a grandbaby together. So if that's not sharing life together, then I, then I don't know what is. It takes a while, but you can, you know, Get to a point where you can, people can love on you and, and support you and, and uh, comfort you where you're at and then you can turn around and do the same thing uh, for them because we all have strengths and weaknesses. When people see that um, we as Christians struggle as well, I feel like that uh, promotes a, a thought process of like, oh, maybe I could try that. Maybe um, there's a plan for me and maybe there's a purpose for me outside of uh, where I am right now. You know the people, and the people, when they go through tough times, you're there to pray for them, you're there to hold their hand, you're there to talk to them when they have you know, difficulty. And, and then when you're going through it as well, they're there for you. And you know that someone's thinking about you and praying for you, and you're doing the same thing for them. Good morning, church. Great to see you. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. Glad you're here. Welcome. We are in the middle of our series on the UC3. Now, you'll remember that we are associating our mission statement to know God through a relationship with Jesus, grow in our relationship with Him, and to go telling others about Him. That simple mission statement, we're associating with three practices that we want to challenge everyone in the church, everyone associated here, to practice. One is to attend services regularly, that's the knowing, to join a small group, that's the growing, and to volunteer, find your fit, and serve either in a ministry within the church or a mission outside of the church, that's the going. So know, grow, go, the UC3, attend service, join a small group, sign up to serve. Today we want to talk about the growing part and the importance, the value of connection, authentic relationship in the body of Christ, and I hope it'll be encouraging to you. I've chosen as our text Ephesians chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 2, and I'm going to read for us verses 19 to 22. These are the words of the Apostle Paul 
writing the church at Ephesus. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for standing. Verse 19, Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You belong, you're members connected to the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So he's talking about us. He's talking about people, talking about the church. He uses the metaphor of a building and a holy temple. Verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And may God inspire and encourage us through his word today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, let me just lay some foundation for this message, just so we have a clear place to stand. I want you, I want you to get this. So at the, right at the top of your outline, these first three bullets. First, God formed me for his family. Write down the word family. God has a family. And the second bullet point is this. His family is called the church. So God is a family. Family's called the church. And the third thing that I want you to know is that we are all called to belong to God's family, the church. God has a family. He calls it the church. We are all called to belong. From our verse in Ephesians 2 today, so you're no longer visitors or strangers. You belong to God's family. You're a member of God's family. So God has a family. He calls it the church, and you are to belong in that family. So let me just remind you then, the church isn't an event. No, it's not a program. Church is not a building. Church is not something you go to. The church is something you belong to. It's not an event. Church is not a location. Church is a relationship. It's the family of God. God calls the church, and we're called to belong. Now, what we know from God's description of the church, his family, in the Bible, is that he uses metaphors, uh, symbols, if you will, to help us understand the definition of the church and how the church functions and how we are to benefit from the relationships we find in God's family. So these metaphors are meant to simplify and illustrate and highlight all the benefits that come to being part of God's family. And not coincidentally, now watch this, not coincidentally, basic human needs that we all have in common, basic emotional, relational needs that we have as human beings are actually met and fulfilled in the context of association with God's family, the church. So each of these five metaphors that we're going to talk about today, they're, uh, they're the family, the temple, a body. That's the most familiar one. We're the body of Christ. Uh, we are described as a flock. We're described as a garden or a vineyard. And these metaphors, these, these models of the church associate with basic needs that all of us have that can be fulfilled in, in these associations. So let's just rehearse these five metaphors and you'll, you'll catch on. Here's the first one. You want to write this down. In God's family, there's the first metaphor. It calls us a family. In God's family, I learn my true identity. I learn my true identity. 
Everybody needs to know who we are. And people are constantly searching, trying to figure out who they are. Now, we, we do all kinds of things to try to identify ourselves in some way. It's the kind of car we drive or, or the clothes we wear or the shops that we go to or the restaurants we frequent, whatever. Um, you know, for example, people wear polo shirts. You know, it's, fa- it's part of the fashion, so it's part of my identity. Have you seen these logos now on the polo shirts? They're, the logos are like 10 inches tall. Have you seen those? They're bigger than the shirt. It seems like polo should be paying us to wear those. They're like a billboard for polo. Why do we wear those? I'm not sure. If you're wearing one, no offense, you know, they're, they're very cool. Um, <laughs> some of you uh, perhaps are sitting next to someone with a Starbucks coffee cup in your, in your possession. Yeah, if, if, you're, if you're close by someone with a Starbucks coffee cup, just look at them and go, that is very cool. You are very cool. Yeah. Or if you've got some kind of Apple device of some sort, you know, that's, uh, that's just another way that we identify ourselves. And, and yet, the truth is, we can use logos and we can use brands, we can do all that stuff, but the truth is that most of our identity comes from our relationships. Now, think about that. Most of our identity comes from our relationships. I am, for example, I'm a son, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a grandfather, I'm a team member, I'm a small group member, I'm a friend, I'm a pastor, I'm an employer, I'm all of those things, and all of these relationships actually define who I am. You, you know who you are by the relationships you have with other people. Let me g- give you an example of this. If you suffer a divorce, and we've seen this many times, people go through this bad experience of a divorce, they sometimes get lost after the separation. I'm not sure who I am anymore because my identity has been wrapped up in this marriage, and so now I'm not sure who I am, what I'm supposed to be doing. This happens when, when your spouse dies, and you can see this especially with couples who have been married for many, many years, and the spouse dies, the surviving spouse can, can wobble and be confused for a long, long time trying to sort out who I am because my identity was wrapped up in that relationship. Maybe you get laid off from your work and you're associated with your career and your profession and your identity is linked to that. And so when you get separated from that, it causes confusion. And so, so all of that to illustrate the fact that our identity is best defined by the nature of the relationships that we have with other people. So Ephesians 2:19 again you're members of God's very own family you belong in God's household with every other Christian and so God has invited us and included us into his family the church and that's really good news because his family is the only family that's going to last forever that's why being part of the church the body of Christ is the most important relationship and the most essential identifier for you personally than any other relationship that you have. So when you get your identity from that, then you have a long-term identity. Some people, some people uh, get caught up in the way the world tries to identify us. You know, I'm a short person, or I'm a tall person, or I have dark hair, or I'm of Asian descent, or Latin descent, or African descent, or I'm of this political persuasion, or or I'm uh, uh, of this career, and so I identify in this category. 
Some people just say, well, I'm an American, I'm a citizen of the United States. See, all of those are interesting identifiers, but none of those are going to last like the church is going to last. Are you following this? The United States isn't going to last. You say, oh, the United States will keep going. No. No, no, uh, no major geopolitical system has ever survived on this earth. For example, where is the Hittite empire today? The Hittites were big and bad. And if you were alive during the reign of the Hittites, you would say, this thing's going to last forever. It didn't. How about the Assyrians? They were very muscly as a civilization. The Assyrian Empire was, was a global power. Where are they? I say the Assyrian Empire, most of you couldn't even tell me where, where they were on the earth. How about the Roman Empire? It's gone. Completely, poof. The United States will, will dis dissipate as well. It won't last forever. But there is something that is going to last forever. And it's called the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said the gates of hell can't even prevail against the church. And we are going to go into eternity with Jesus in a kingdom that cannot be shaken, which is immutable and will never end. Being part of the family of God is a long-term relationship, and it helps us with our identity. The Bible actually says that Jesus makes his people holy because we belong in his family and that he isn't ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. That's pretty cool. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. And I'm wondering, how many of you have brothers or sisters? You're ashamed. Don't, don't raise your hand. That can happen, right? But Jesus said, look, our relationship isn't based on your worst sin or your worst season of life or your poorest decisions. Our relationship now is based on love and mercy and forgiveness. And so I'm not ashamed to call you my brothers and sisters. That's a, that's a very, very cool thing. And so we identify with Jesus that way. A lot of families, they advertise their identity because they have certain marks. They have certain symbols that they use, uh, like a family crest. Or in Scotland, they have plaid that they, that they design to identify their family. Uh, People all over the world identify themselves by these marks and symbols. You know, some, some street gangs identify by a certain tattoo, and that marks them and identifies them with that group. And so humans do this all over the world. What, do, could you help me identify what is the identifying mark and symbol of being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus? You know what it is? It's baptism. Baptism is the mark. Baptism is the outward sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Baptism is your coming out party. It's your celebration. It is your public witness that I have decided to follow Jesus. I am dead to my old life. I am buried with him in the waters of baptism. I am resurrected to newness of life. I have decided to follow Jesus. I'm not turning back. This is following in obedience to the model set, the example set by Jesus when he was baptized by John Baptist in the Jordan. And so baptism becomes the symbol, becomes the mark of Christian identification, identifying with the family of God. Last week, our 10-year-old granddaughter, Marin, was baptized. And we were so proud of her. My wife, Beth, went to, uh, went to the services down in Southport, Indiana. And 
So she was there, and I saw the video afterwards, and then there was a big party at the house after the baptism, and, and I went through all the services last weekend here and then had special luncheon with some new friends, and so I didn't get free from here till about 2 o'clock, and so I jumped in my car after all that, and I drove to Southport, and the party was already letting out at my granddaughter's house, but I wanted to talk to Marin. The reason I made the effort to go is because I wanted to speak with her. And so when the time was right, I asked 10-year-old Marin to come over, sit on my lap, and make eye contact with me. I said, Marin, I want, I want to ask you to make me a promise. And she said, okay, Papa, what do you want me to promise? And I said, I want you to promise me that you will never forget your baptism. I said, in a few years, you're going to be a teenager. And when you're a teenager, you have to learn some new things and go through some stuff in life, and it'll be an adjustment. I said, when you're a teenager, I want you to promise me that you won't forget your baptism. And I said, then a few years after that, you'll go off to the university. And when you're at college, there'll be new experiences there and things to learn and, and challenges to your life. And I said, I want you to promise me when you're at the university that you won't forget your baptism. And I said, after that, you're going to meet someone and probably want to get married. And I said, when you get married, even the very day that you get married, don't forget your baptism. And then maybe you'll have children of your own someday, a long time from now, but maybe you'll have your own family. And I said, when you're raising your own family, I want you to promise me you won't forget your baptism. I said, now, promise and I made her look at me. We were this far apart. I made, me, made her look at me in the eyes, and, and she said, I promise. And I said, you promise what? She said, I promise I'll not forget my baptism. Don't forget your baptism. Every last single one of us in this room are tested and tempted to forget our baptism every single day sometimes many times a day, to discard and dismiss our baptism. But don't forget your baptism. This was when you took your stand. This is when you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. This is when you admitted that my life is no longer my own. I no longer belong to myself. I belong to the one who has made provision for my sins, and I have decided to follow him. That was, that was your announcement to the world inviting God's grace new and afresh into your life through the sacred act of baptism that you are going to stand and live for him no matter what. Don't forget your baptism. Someone in the room right now needs, needs to pray, and God will hear this prayer. Lord, I'm sorry I forgot my baptism, but from now on I'm going to remember my baptism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good preaching right there. You remember your baptism. Don't forget. So here's the second thing I want you to know. We'll go a little faster now. Here's the second, here's the second metaphor that God uses, and he calls us a temple. In God's temple, think, think about a building now. You want to see a building. In God's temple, I am supported by others. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and his spirit lives in you? 
So this is the metaphor that God is using. He said that we are living stones, each one of us being built one upon another into this holy temple and dwelt by the Spirit of God. So, so we, as the people of God, we're like a building that God is constructing. And it's a metaphor. Now, when we were building this building, I remember how important it is when these beams, these big steel beams and these purlins in the, in the roof were all connected together and bolted together. And then the roof was installed. And now for these years, it, it's held up. You know, the roof hasn't fallen in once. And it's because these items are all connected and their connectedness is what gives them support and strength. Any questions? Isn't this simple? Do you, do you, feel, like, do you feel like you're in kindergarten again? This is like, this is like five-year-old Sunday school. And so the building gets its strength because it's actually connected. If, if one of these steel beams came up six inches short and wasn't bolted to the other beam, the whole place would fall down. Why? Because it's not connected. And I also noticed on a, on a job site, and it was true here, that when you're doing construction like this, there are always extra pieces around. There's a pipe over there, a piece of wood over there, some wiring over here. And these are just discarded, unrelated unconnected, disconnected, if you will, pieces of the construction. And they're just out there. And you know, that reminds me of the church because there are people who understand this value and they embrace it and apply it, appropriate it in their lives, and they connect themselves meaningfully with others because they know they need the support and the strength that comes from it. They, they get it. And then there are other folks who they just, they, they're around, they show up at services once in a while, they attend a program here or there, they come to a special event or whatever, but they never really intentionally connect in a meaningful way in relationship with the family of God, the church. And as a result of that, when the wind blows and the water crashes against their house, sometimes the house just can't take it because it's not enough support. There's not enough strength there to endure that kind of pressure. And so we learn from this. And so God is so gracious to us. Look, the church, my family, this is, where, this is where you find the support you need when you get connected. Just like a building is supported and strengthened by that connection. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I just want to stop. Are there any questions? <laughs> do you get it? I, I know you do. It's impossible to miss. The only question is, will you actually do it? Make the connection. That's yeah, so, so important because there are going to be times in your life when you need other people to hold you together. Your business is going to wobble. Your marriage is going to bend and threaten to break. One of your children are going to do something goofy and you're going to be in crisis. You're going to get laid off from your job. And stuff's going to happen. Life is going to happen. And you're going to need support. And so the invitation is given. The best way to take the first step here at Union Chapel to connect is through our Discover class, Discover UC. And that meets every month. It's one session. It's usually done around our services. So it's, it's in your routine already, and you, can, and you can get in the class. We'll talk about our, our vision, our values, our history, and then we'll coach you on how to connect in a small group. We'll coach you on how to find your fit, to volunteer, to serve. We'll do those basic things around the UC3, and so Discover is the best place to find it. Now, we live in a polarized society today, friends. P 
People are all at odds on all kinds of issues, and depending on who you talk to, listen to, you'll hear people speculate, well, the, the biggest crisis in America is financial. You know, income inequality, unfair opportunity. So, so that gets blended in with political issues. That's the biggest crisis, or, or, or even social issues. That's our biggest crisis. I want to just tell you that my opinion and what I'm reading is that political, social, economic issues are not the greatest crisis in America. The biggest crisis in America is the crisis of loneliness. Hear that, loneliness. And apparently the younger you are in our culture right now, the more pain and suffering and hurt and loneliness exists. And I mentioned a few weeks ago that some of the causes of that are broken homes and absent fathers and, and other parts of it are about social media and the inherent inability of, that social media has to actually genuinely and authentically connect people and meaningful relationships. It breaks down. And the inherent impatience that comes with youth, all of these things and other things contribute to this sense of loneliness that's leading especially young people in our culture toward despair and discouragement and a sense that my life doesn't have value and I'm not making a difference and, and I want more for myself. Now let me just speak to you from my heart for a minute. I want to remind you today that the church is not perfect. This church isn't perfect. No church is perfect. No person is perfect. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. We're all imperfect people. Having said that though, I want you to know that while we're not perfect, we do care. And speaking now for the older, let me just say that we care for the younger. We actually remember, I'm going to get some amens now from old people. We actually remember what it's like to be a teenager. Now, I'm, I'm advanced in age relative to you if you're young. But listen to me. I was a teenager about three days ago. It happened like that. Can I get an amen? amen? I was a teenager three days ago. I was a young adult four, four days ago. I remember, my wife can, t I can tell you stories in minute detail from 50 years ago. I remember being a teenager like it was yesterday. Now, you have to take my word for that because when you're young, you can't hear this. You just go, well, he just, he's senile. He thinks he remembers things he can't possibly remember. But my point is, and, and again, you can't hear this. You haven't lived long enough to get the perspective, but you'll have this perspective one of these days. You may even recall me saying this. Time goes really fast. Time goes really fast. And so all of us need all the help we can get each step of the way. And so what I want you to hear is that we care about you. We love you. We want the best for you. We're convinced that God has a unique and powerful design for you, not just you, but your generation. And he wants to do great things. And you're going to need the support that the body of Christ, the, faith, the faithful of God, the church, can provide for you if you'll accept it. Because that's where your strength will come from, when we're authentically connected. So here's number three. Find this on your outline now, number three. In Christ's body, this is the third metaphor now, 
We have, a, we have a family, we have a temple, now we have a body. In the metaphor of the body, like a human body, see, see the image, the, the profile of a human body now. This is like the body of Christ. I learned my unique value. Now, every human being, you do, I do, everybody does, we need to know that we have value as people. This is one of the innate basic needs that every human being has. And so it connected with the, with the body is very important. Last summer, we did a jigsaw puzzle at the lake. And all the grandkids and Beth and I worked on this jigsaw puzzle for days and days and days. This is one of these big deals that sat on the dining room table. It just filled the whole table. And little bitty pieces, piece after piece after piece. And we were just building this puzzle. Sometimes Beth would sit down for a little while and work with a couple of the kids. And I'd sit down a little while. We just kept putting this puzzle together. I happened to be at the table when we came to the end of the puzzle. And, and we got to the very end. I realized, okay, there's, one, there's only three pieces left, two pieces left, one piece. Where's the last piece? And the last piece was missing. And I heard myself lean back and yell, no, the last piece was missing. Now, some of you, some of you are well-adjusted. You're mature. You're on balance in life. And in that moment, you pause and you go, haven't we had a wonderful time building this puzzle? It's been such a great activity together, and we've shared wonderful moments. It's been fun and it's been warm, and we've gotten to know each other better, and it's been so delightful to spend time together. What's it matter if there's only one piece missing? We've, we've, we've had a great experience together. Isn't that beautiful? And I'm really happy for you if that's your worldview and the way you go through life. I have to have the last piece of that puzzle. So an all-out search was begun. Because I'm not well. I've got to have the last piece. And an all-out search was begun, and thank God. Thank God. Have you ever lost something and you prayed, God, please help me find that? Have you ever prayed that way? <laughs> I've prayed that way many times, and most of the time when I pray that, no matter how sincere I am, I can't find it. I don't know why. This is God's little, you know, he made me the way I am, needing the last piece, and then when I pray to find it, he won't let me. It's the cross I have to bear. Anyway, we found the last piece. We found it. We found it. Put the last piece in. I even got my, I took a picture of that thing. Yeah, so at one time we had all the pieces of this puzzle. We put it together and there it is. I took a picture of it and I've got it. It makes me feel better. You know, that's the way the body of Christ is. When you don't take your place. Jesus said everybody's place is important. The Apostle Paul taught, taught it this way. He said, he said, the body of Christ is comprised of all the pieces, all the parts of the body. If you, if you are an ear and you say, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an, an eye. I wanted to be an eye, but I'm just merely an ear, so I'm not part of the body. Paul says, no, no, you're part of the body. We need the ears. Every part is important. And again, the value that this adds to your life is that you discover how unique you are, how special you are. So if you're not taking your place in the body of Christ, then we are incomplete and we are less than we 
are designed to be. So it's so important that we recognize that God's family, the church, is comprised of individual parts of a body, each with unique value. You have value, so I'm just not important. You are important. You're like the last piece. We need your piece. Without you, we're not complete. And so we have to live that way. 1 Corinthians 12, the foot says, well, I'm not part of the body, I'm just a foot. No, we need the feet. We need the hands. We need all the parts. So I discover my unique value. Here's number four. In God's flock, now here's the fourth metaphor, it's a flock. Now visualize sheep on the side of a hill and a couple of shepherds watching after them. Now look at, look at the benefit of being part of a flock. I am protected and I'm cared for. Listen to what Jesus said, John 10. I'm the good shepherd. You've heard this about Jesus, right? I'm the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. Now a hired hand runs away because he doesn't care for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. He said, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the second time he says that. They listen to my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Last sentence. Listen to this. Think protected and cared for. Think of it. No one will ever be able to snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that a warm and wonderful promise? Do you feel protected? Do you feel cared for? You should because you have a good shepherd in this flock, the church. We do this in a couple of ways. In practical use, in a, in, in, in a church, we have, we have pastors. We have people on the staff who are pastors. And so we care for and protect people in that way. But there's a second way and perhaps an even more important way that we protect and care for each other, and that is through small groups, through small groups. Did you know that 58 times in the Bible there is a command to do together for one another, love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, greet one another, pray for one another, all these 58 times, 58 one another's. Here's what you can't do in order to honor that command for one another. You can't do it in a large group. You can't do it with hundreds of people. The only way you can love and care and pray and encourage one another, support one another, is if you're in a small group, if you're in a face-to-face -face group, so that you're caring for one another. Otherwise, you can't do it. 58 times. 58 times we're admonished to do for one another careful ways. And the only way we can do that is if we have more intimacy with one another. So there it is again. Let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Who's looking out for you in your life? In fact, can you name me three people who are looking out for you, you know, outside of your immediate family? Three people who are looking out for you? How about flip the coin? Name three people you are looking out for. In other words, when something happens in that person's life, when, it, when everyone else is walking away from them, abandoning them, you walk toward them and stand alongside of them. Can you name three people who are looking out for you that way and who you are looking out for? I can tell you that the people in this room today who are in a small group, you're answering that question very easily. Let me answer that question like that. But if you're not in a small group, you're not connected that way, in that kind of face-to-face -face fellowship, that may be a very difficult question for you to answer. And we need it. We need to know who's with us.
1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage each other, give each other strength. So I'm protected and I'm cared for. Now this is the fifth, here's the fifth metaphor. We've done four, here's the fifth one, we're at the end. Stay with it now. I know, this is so simple, it's almost hard to hear, isn't it? It's so fundamental, it's so, it's so basic that it's impossible to miss. But here's the fifth metaphor, and that's the garden or the vineyard. In God's vineyard, garden, my life becomes productive. Now hear this. This is a basic need that all of us have. We need to be fruitful. We need to be productive. We need to feel that we're making a difference. This is innate in every human being to have the dignity that God wants us to have, that we're a productive person, that we're fruitful for, for good things. And, and so John 15, this is what Jesus said. And again, please excuse the simplicity. Jesus said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. So he said, the big, the big thing is the vine. I'm the vine. The little things are the branches that come off the vine. Think of the vineyard now. And the branches come off the vine. Then Jesus said, a branch cannot bear fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful apart from me, Jesus says. I am the vine, he repeats, and you are the branches. This is John 15, verses 4 and 5. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. As long as we are connected to the vine, we can bear fruit. If we are disconnected from the vine, we cannot bear fruit. Fruit. We're going to have a quiz right after this is over, and I'm sure you're going to ace it. The last phrase, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And so the point is, a disconnected branch cannot bear fruit. God has all kinds of fruit he wants you to bear, but unless you're connected to him and to his people, you cannot produce at the level that he calls you to. And so once again, we see a basic need, a basic value in human life realized made possible because of the connection with the family of God, the church. So we have these five basic needs. Let me rehearse. You have the need to know your identity, who I really am. You have the need to develop stability so you get blown away the first time something serious happens, tough times come. You have a need to increase your capacity to know your unique value as a person. You have a need to have security, to need to, need to know that you're protected and cared for. And you have the need for productivity. And all five of these things are found in God's family. All five of them. Every one of them. To say it another way, in your life you need power to live on. You need people to live with. You need principles to live by. You need a plan to live out. And you need a purpose to live for. All of those things are found in rightly connected, connectedness with the body of Christ, the family of God. Now, let me ask you this question. Why would anyone remain disconnected after knowing this? Why would anyone remain disconnected and apart from authentic connectivity and relationship in the body of Christ when there's, when there's a great church like Union Chapel available to connect to? What, what are you thinking? What is, the, what, is the, what is the plan that you have in mind to live your life disconnected from the essential needs that you have in your life that only the church can provide? It's a fine question. It really is a fine question. Here's my, here's my invitation to you. 
will be your family. Don't know your story, don't know your background, don't know, you, don't know your narrative, don't know anything about you. We'll be your family. You're welcome in this family. You're welcome into the family of God. You are welcome here. This may be a difficult step for you for all kinds of reasons, based on your past, your other experiences, your other attempts. We will be your family. You are welcome here. And you can get connected. On your way out today, I hope you'll stop and sign up to be baptized if you haven't been baptized. And you have an insert in your bulletin today that has times available. You can join a small group that's currently meeting. You can start a small group, stop out there at the Welcome Center. Jeff Hughes, our connections pastor, will be there to help you sort that out. We want to be helpful to you to make these important connections. Amen? All right, let's pause and pray about these things just for a moment. Thank you. Lord, we thank you this morning that even with all of our faults and weaknesses and all the many sins in your family, that you love your family, the church. And we know it's not going to be perfect. Church is filled with imperfect people, but you love us. And we thank you you're not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And so may we never be ashamed of your church. It's your family. And Lord, you said in your word that Jesus died for the church. Give us that same attitude, Lord, to love. You've said that we know what love is when we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Help us to realize today that we're more than just friends, more than just attenders. We're family. So help us to stick up for each other and support each other and care for each other. Friend, I, I pray that when the world looks at Union Chapel and our community, they, they would say, those guys really love each other. They really love. Now, one more thing just before we finish our prayer. If you're a person in the room today and you haven't stepped across the line and invited Jesus Christ into your life, you can do that today. You don't have to go one more moment without having the assurance that you have peace with God. Let me help you do that. I'll say the words of the prayer. You pray them in your heart and in your mind, and God will hear your prayer. Hear the words. Listen. Jesus Christ, come into my life right now. Come into my life and change me. Forgive me. I want to be part of your family. I want to accept your call to be loved. And I want to accept your call to belong. So thank you for all that you have done for me. It's in your name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us now?